All right. Well, good morning. I'm excited to be with you. Uh, as Pastor Joe mentioned, my name is Jeff. I'm the assistant pastor here, and um, I'm always excited uh, about the opportunity to share, but especially today. Uh, today is Palm Sunday, as you know, and so we are looking forward to Easter next week. Um, it's going to be an amazing time. It's going to be a big time. Um, all these empty seats are going to be filled. I'm pretty confident of that, um, but, it, but it's an exciting time. Anyway, um, Today being Palm Sunday, from my point of view to you, um, when you get the opportunity to share and to speak and, and to bring um, God's Word, it kind of feels like this is a week where, for all intents and purposes, the text is kind of chosen for you. Um, it feels like we have to go to the triumphal entry of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. But what I like about this story especially um, is that it is in all four of the gospel accounts. It's in Matthew 21, it's in Mark chapter 12, it's in Luke chapter 19, and it's in John chapter 12. Um, and so each, each one, as you read them, as you lay them out and read them back to back, they all have a little bit of a different angle, a little bit of a different spin. They all kind of tell the same story, but some of them tell different things that happen next. Um, and so that means that by the grace of God, and to me it is a big mercy because Whatever the personality is that you just have to be unique and you can't do the same thing everybody else is doing, that's, that's my personality and my own brokenness and stubbornness and, and all that. But um, that being said, I looked at all of them and found myself uh, kind of drawn to Luke's account. So we're going to go to the book of Luke today, um, Luke chapter 19. If you have your Bible or Bible app, I would encourage you to get that out so that you can follow along. Um, I'm using the NIV today, but... Um, you can uh, follow along however you will. And if you don't have your Bible or Bible app, just know that we do always put it up on the screen so that you can um, follow along. But here we're going to go into it, Luke 19, 28 through 44. It says, After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and, Bel and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. <clears throat> if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, the owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. What I appreciate about Luke's account of the gospel is, uh, of, of, this, um, of this chapter of the story, if you will, and by chapter, I don't mean Luke 19, I mean like this little part, um, this particular account, but what I appreciate is that there is a theme in it of recognition and of appreciation. 
Who's going to recognize that this guy riding in is the king and who is going to worship him accordingly? And additionally, Luke, Luke is the only one um, that includes Jesus' lamentation over, um, over the city of Jerusalem. And I think that in all of this, in this whole entire account, there is beauty and there is power and there is gospel as we consider Jesus' coming into Jerusalem. But there is also challenge and discipleship as we consider what it means for us as followers of Jesus. What this story tells us, what it, rep- what it represents, and the questions that it asks of us. So, um, if you're a fan of structure and kind of knowing how this is going to go, um, we're going to go through and we're going to ask three questions of ourself um, as followers of Jesus, and we're going to tag those with the word discipleship. But we're also going to make three observations about the gospel, about the, the story of God in the world, and we're going to label those just that, gospel. So we're going to ask three questions and make three observations as we go through. So the first event that takes place, the first thing that we see, right, is, is Jesus sending two, uh, sending two disciples into a nearby village to go and get a colt. And so the first question that I want to ask to you, for you to consider is, will you go when Jesus just says go? Me personally, I can't imagine being one of the disciples and Jesus only telling me, all right, I need you to go. I need you to, for all intents and purposes, as far as I can tell, I need you to steal somebody's donkey, just take it. And if they say anything to you, just tell them that the Lord needs it, okay? I would be asking, okay, Lord, what's their name? Uh, Do you know who they are? Do you know what they look like? Do you know what they're going to be wearing? Um, Can I check their website to make sure that they're open? Can I call ahead? Like, what's the deal? If they tell me no, can I come back and can I get you and can you come deal with this? Like, that's, that's kind of how I would deal with this. But they don't get any of those instructions. They're simply told to go and they are given what to say when they, um, <clears throat> when they are asked about the donkey. Here's, here's the reality in the bottom line for us, okay? Sometimes we don't get the specifics and we don't always go with a guarantee of what's going to happen. Okay? Sometimes Jesus just says, go. Go and pray for that person. You have no idea what they need. You have no idea what's wrong. You have no idea what's happening in their life. But the Lord just kind of taps you on the shoulder and says, I want you to go and I want you to pray for that person. Sometimes he's going to tell you, I want you to go and offer encouragement. And you're going to be like, Lord, what's going on with them? I have no idea. I don't know their situation. But he's just going to say, hey, I have this that I want to tell them. And I want you to go and, and to tell them this thing. And you're probably going to feel like an idiot right? You're going to feel like a fool. Like, what if this has nothing to do with what's going on in their life? But he just says, I want you to go. Um, He's going to tell you to go and tell your story. And you're going to think to yourself, well, maybe they don't want to hear it. Maybe they don't have time or whatnot. But that's not part of the question. The question is, will you go when Jesus says to go? There's a a saying that we have uh, here around the vineyard. It's been part of the vineyard movement for a number of years. Um, It's that faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And if you're anything like me, Your first thought is, do people in the vineyard know how to spell, right? But the point is, right, is that that the life of faith is not a life full of guarantees. There is an element of risk inherent to faithfully following Jesus and going where he's going and, and obeying what he asks us to do. And so some of us, and by some of us, I am including myself in your category because I do this all the time, some of us need to stop answering for other people. Okay, because we think that we know exactly what they're going to say. We think, they, we think that, that, that we know that they're going to say no, or we know that they're going to say yes, or we know that they don't want to hear it, or, or whatever. And so we just go ahead and we answer for them, and so we don't even go to begin with. 
okay? That's not good. That's not what Jesus is asking us to do. He's asking us, will you go? Some of us miss out on an opportunity to see what God wants to do in your life and in the lives of people around you because of this tendency. We're too scared, and, and I don't know why, but I couldn't get this thought out of my head. It may or may not be prophetic. I don't know. I'll let the Holy Spirit decide that and how he communicates this to you. But I think a lot of times we, we mask our disobedience by saying that we're afraid, okay? Because we think, okay, God, will, God can have mercy and he can have grace for my fear, right? If I'm, if, I'm, if I'm afraid, you know, we talk about, you know, God doesn't want me to fear and, and blah, blah, blah and whatnot, and he's, he's near to me and he comforts me. But what about when I'm just straight up disobedient? What if I just don't want to do it? What if I don't want to be a part of it? What if I don't want to look like a fool? And so I just say, no, Lord, I'm too scared. Be patient with me. I'm scared, right? Think about the story of, of, of Jonah in the Old Testament, Okay. There was fear involved in that story, right? Because Jonah knew the people of Nineveh and he knew what they were like and he knew their culture and all of that. But also the bottom line was Jonah skipped Nineveh because he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He would rather go to Tarshish. God says, I want you to go here. He says, no, I'd rather go here. It's disobedience. That's the bottom line of it all. Okay, Nineveh was a challenge. Tarshish was easy. Nineveh was despised, but Tarshish was beloved. But for our purposes here today, the disciples did as they were told. They got to play a unique role in the story of Jesus because of their willingness to obey. Now, I happen to think that if they hadn't gone, Jesus would send somebody else, right? And I'm pretty sure that somewhere in the whole entire crowd of people, someone would be willing to go. And if, if all else failed, I'm pretty sure that Peter and John would have gone. Right? Because we know Peter. Peter's always the first one to do everything. Peter's willing to go. He's willing to take a risk. He's willing to make himself look stupid. And as you read the account of the resurrection, we know that Peter and John love a good foot race. Okay? So they're probably going to run ahead into the nearby village, and John would say, well, I beat Peter to the village because I'm faster, and then they would do it. Right? There would probably be somebody who would do that, but we don't know who they are because they are just nameless disciples that we only know said yes to Jesus. And they are forever a part of the gospel recollection. They are usually talked about every Sunday on Palm Sunday. And so what I want to encourage you in is not to underestimate the power of God and to some extent, and it's not our primary motivation, but the satisfaction that you and I can get from being willing to say yes and to be being used by God to tell his story in the world. So that's our first question for ourselves. First observation I want to make with you is that the, the king comes humbly. Okay, we, we understand that at one point in history, um, donkeys would have been a sign of royalty. Okay, if you look in Judges, and I believe it might be Second Samuel, you'll read about people who were in high positions and they would ride around on donkeys. Okay? But at this particular point in time, donkeys and horses kind of represented um, a, a different socioeconomic status, okay? If you rode a donkey, it's because you couldn't afford to ride a horse. Basically, that's, that's the long and the short of it, okay? And so Jesus, for his grandiose, triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the part of the story where he stops telling people not to tell anyone about him, where he starts saying, go and tell people who I am, at that particular point in the story, Jesus chooses to ride in on a donkey, not only that, but when he, when he sends the disciples to go get the donkey, the phrase that he uses is, tell them that the Lord needs it. He could have said, tell them that Jesus says so. 
right? He could have said, tell him that Jesus told me to come and do it and that you had to do this thing because Jesus said so. He could have said, it's Jesus, you should do it because it's the right thing to do. But Jesus chose to say that he needed it. He didn't assert his dominance or his leadership. He didn't assert his godness. He didn't guilt anyone or coerce anyone into it. What he did do was he appealed to his lordship, but he's also appealing to his humanity. Why does he need the donkey? I don't know. It's not really answered there, right? <clears throat> Could it be because he was tired from the journey? Maybe. He only had a couple miles left to go. And for, from what we can tell in Scripture, Jesus traveled a lot. He's probably able to cover these kind of distances. It could be that. It could be that <clears throat> Jesus needed the donkey because the prophecy from the book of Zechariah said that the king was going to ride in on a donkey. Okay? Now, this can become a little bit of a slippery slope because when we're dealing with things like prophecy, right, it, it starts to get confusing because we're talking about the idea that God said it was going to happen, it was foretold that it was going to happen, and it was going to happen in this way, but at the same time, somebody needed to own the donkey, somebody needed to be willing to give up the donkey, somebody needed to be go, willing to go and get the donkey, and so it's like somehow God orchestrates all this in his providence, and yet somehow people have a role in it, and there's free will, and listen, we can get into all that, but right now, honestly, that goes right over my head. Okay, we can philosophize about it all day, but the point is that Jesus came humbly. He rode in on a donkey, not a horse, and it was a borrowed one at that. And this is kind of a theme throughout Jesus's life. There was a, 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 a bit of a temporary or transient nature, if you will, to Jesus's life. He was born not inside of the inn, not in a place that was warm and comfortable, but in a stable with the animals. Jesus lived with no place to lay his head. He said, foxes have holes and birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. When the time came for his triumphal kingly entry into Jerusalem, he rode on a donkey that he borrowed from somebody. When the time came that Jesus was going to be buried, he was buried not in his own tomb, but a tomb that someone um, got and, and used for him, a rich man's tomb. Jesus came humbly. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And Jesus, as our high priest, was himself beset with weakness is what scripture tells us so that he can be gentle and deal with those who are uh, wayward and ignorant is what the book of Hebrews tells us and that's you and me just FYI in case you missed that okay so the king came humbly here's our next question will you offer the things that you have will you offer what you have <clears throat> in this chapter in, the, in this story availability is a big theme right uh, from top to bottom, the disciples made themselves available to Jesus to go and get the donkey. The owner of the donkey made the donkey available to Jesus. And it was an unbroken donkey. It was a donkey that no one else had ever ridden on. And as you read some stuff around this story, you understand that that might just be a bit of a theological symbol for the idea that, that God um, requires and asks total devotion of us. But that's kind of beside the point, okay? The, the people on the way, on the road to Jerusalem, made their cloaks available to Jesus. Some to sit on the donkey and some to put on the ground ahead of Jesus. And understand that in this day and age, people would have a frame of reference for this. This may sound random to us to think about like throwing our coats on the ground, but this was something they had a frame of reference for. Okay? This was the type of offering that people would make for a king or for someone or something they believed to be a god. Okay? It would soften the road. It would help keep the donkey clean. It would help keep the, the dirt from kicking up and, and getting all over them. It was a sacrifice of comfort for the sake of 
honor. <clears throat> there was little regard for the cloak. It was simply going to get tread into the ground. And honestly, as you think about it too, it's hard to imagine a cloak covering that much ground. Okay, if Jesus had miles and miles and miles to go, it's not like he just needed a few of these things. He needed a lot of them if they were going to pave the entire way. And so my, my contribution might be little, but it's important. So here's the question. If you want to think about this a little bit metaphorically, if you will, what is it that you are wearing? What is your cloak and will you make it available to honor Jesus? Doesn't need to be a nice cloak. Doesn't matter where you got it. Doesn't matter if it looks nicer or looks worse than your neighbor's cloak. It's your cloak, and they're all going under the donkey that Jesus is riding. Okay, so what are the gifts and talents and skills and connections and experiences that you have that you can offer to Jesus, that you can use for Jesus and for his people? Will you recognize, if we think about this in, in terms of the language that Paul used in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, referring to the body of Christ, will you recognize, yeah, maybe you're a pinky toe, maybe you're not a hand, maybe you don't have you know, this glamorous motor function, but you still have a vital role. Or will you recognize that maybe you're the nose and you're not the one who gets all the compliments, but you still have an important, uh, important role in the body. Your role matters because of who you serve not because of what the role is, okay? So if you're here and you're a disciple of Jesus, the question for us is, will we make ourselves available to Jesus? Will we offer up our cloak as Jesus is, is, is making his effort to, to ride into the lives and hearts of people around you, your coworkers, your friends, your neighbors, your family, classmates, the people that you're around? Will you make yourself available to pave the way for Jesus? Next observation, the king comes in peace. <clears throat> Jesus' uh, entry into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey fulfills a prophecy that you'll find in the Old Testament, in the book of Zechariah, chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, and we'll put it up on screen. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And then it says, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. In addition to the fact that, that a donkey is considered a humble form of transportation, okay, it's also understood that kings would ride donkeys in time of peace and they would ride horses in times of war. And so when Jesus is coming in on a donkey, he is proclaiming that his reign is going to be a reign of peace. As he gives his lament over Jerusalem, he says, If you, even you, had only known the day, sorry, had only known on this day, what would bring you peace? But now it's hidden from your eyes. We understand that a rejection of Jesus is a rejection of peace. Not necessarily peace on earth, as it were, because Jesus has things to say about the fact that he didn't come to bring peace on earth. He came to bring a sword, which is the idea that the message is going to create conflict and disagreement with people, but there is still an internal peace that we get to experience. Okay, rejecting Jesus is rejecting the triumphant king who came in righteousness and in victory. It's, it's rejecting Jesus' victory over, over sin and death and darkness. And here's the deal. That's not meant to be a threat. That's meant to be a lamentation. 
As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about how we deal with and hold the doctrine of hell and how we think about hell sometimes. I think we treat hell like it's this thing that we need to scare people out of. We need to make sure that they don't go there. So we need to tell them about it and tell them how awful and terrible it is so that they don't ever want to go there. Right? But, but hell should be for us a lamentation and not a threat. It's a lamentation because it is, it is the natural byproduct of the fact that we from birth, are born separated from God. We're born with a sin nature. And that is where our sin gets us. But we want, what we want to invite people into is not just an, an eternal life that's free from hell, but it's an eternal life where we get to be with God. We get to live in God's presence 24-7. We get to see the kingdom of God uh, established once and for all. The reign of Jesus is peace. Okay, on the day when he returns as a conquering king, he will come in on a white horse, Scripture tells us, and he will establish his kingdom once and for all and for good. But in the meantime, you and I get to experience the kingdom in the already and the not yet. Okay, we get to experience the surety and the stability and the reliability of Jesus, both in his death, burial, and resurrection, but also in his teaching. I had the opportunity to go down to, uh, to Bethel camp last weekend and speak with the middle schoolers there. And we were talking about in Matthew chapter 7, 24 through 27, and Jesus puts out there that anyone who hears my words, but not just hears them, does them, right, will be like a man, a wise man who built his house on the rock. And here's the point. The rain came, the wind blew, and the floods rose. That happened, but the house stood. And so the idea of it is that as, as people following Jesus, right, the Christian life is not meant to be suffering free. Okay, if you experience hardships, if you experience difficulties in your, in your body, in your relationships, in your finances and whatnot, that is not a sign that you have ticked God off and you are outside of God's favor. It is a sign that you live in a broken world. But when we build our foundation on Jesus and on his teachings because they're true and because they work, we get to stand. Our lives get to be suffering proof. Nothing can come against it. Okay, another observation, final observation. <clears throat> the king is praised. Okay, the Pharisees, because they missed the arrival of the king, because they missed what was happening in front of their very eyes, they didn't understand what it is that they were seeing, what it is that they were hearing, what it is that they were experiencing, they told Jesus to rebuke his disciples. Because the disciples were saying, Hosanna! Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And to the Pharisees, this was foolishness, it was blasphemy, it was heresy. This was not the Messiah. This was not it. This was not the one that we were told about, that we were promised for all these years. And it's, it's kind of uncharacteristically generous of the Pharisees that they don't straight up rebuke Jesus, but they invite Jesus to rebuke the disciples. Okay, but what's Jesus' response to this? He says, not, he says if these people don't cry out. The rocks will. In other words, Jesus, one way or another, is going to get his praise. It will not be coerced. It will not be forced. It's not going to be bought. He's not going to twist anyone's arm into worshiping him, but he will get his praise because it's what he deserves. And when we recognize Jesus for who he truly is, we recognize that this is the right response to Jesus. Total devotion and worship of Jesus as the King. Paul writes in the book of Colossians, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him 
all things were created, things on heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And so whether we realize it or not, Jesus is the realization, he is the embodiment of God. Jesus is the one that everything points to in some way or another. The one by whom creation was made and the one for whom creation exists. And understand that Paul writes this to the Colossians who, on one hand, they were being told um, that that just because Jesus comes along, well, we still need to observe Old Testament law and tradition and, and follow the, the, the festivals and all these kind of things. Basically, we got to still keep the rules. But on the other hand, there was a group of people trying to tell the Colossians that, yes, Jesus is welcome into the whole pantheon of gods. He's welcome to be a part of the God Club. He's never going to be president of the God Club. He can be here, but he is not God. He is not the only way. And so Paul is writing Colossians as a response to the idea that Jesus can just coexist, as it were, with other gods. And he's saying, no, Jesus is it. Okay? When we talk about a higher power, the thing that we're ultimately talking about is Jesus. When we're talking about peace, we're talking about Jesus. When we seek wholeness in our lives, in our relationships, in our communities, we are seeking Jesus. When we look for righteousness and goodness and love and joy and kindness and justice and mercy and all these kind of things, Jesus is the realization and the embodiment of all of those things. But some of us, at some times and at various times and places, we are looking in all the wrong places. Okay, Jesus' triumphal entry tells us that one way or another, Jesus will get his praise, whether it's from man who is created in his own image or from the creation, which was his idea and is sustained at his own word. Jesus will get his praise. He is the name above all names at which every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the question is, the final question we want to ask this morning is, will you recognize Jesus when he comes? Will you recognize Jesus? The triumphal entry is indeed just that. It's triumphal for a reason. We call it that for a reason. But it was not necessarily a universal celebration. Okay? We understand that there's the Pharisees there and they're, they're not recognizing it because of their own tradition, their own understanding of God. They say this can't be it. This can't be the one. Okay? But there are also, I'm sure, just everyday people in Jerusalem who are going about their everyday lives missing the fact that God himself was fulfilling prophecy, coming before them, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, proclaiming himself as the king. How do I know that there were people who missed the point? Well, because of Jesus' lament, right? He says, if you'd only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your very eyes. And Jesus proceeded to weep over Jerusalem. And we're not just talking about like a little face palm response to Jerusalem. We're talking about full-on lamentation, weeping, because that was Jesus' heart. They did not recognize, the city of God did not recognize the time of God's coming to them. And so here's my question for you, whether you are a Christian or not, what are you doing with Jesus? Are you looking for him? Are you avoiding him? Are you responding to him when he comes? 
Or are you thinking that you can just continue to go about your business? You can continue to, to do your, your stuff every single day. There's time. We can take care of it later. But right now, I need to do this, that, and the other. I was thinking about this question. I was thinking about in Luke chapter 9. It happens a little bit earlier in Jesus' life. But Jesus is having an, intera- an interaction with some folks. And um, one of them straight up said to Jesus, Jesus, I'll follow you. And the other one was somebody that Jesus invited to come and follow him. And they both had a but first. (laughs) But first, let me say goodbye to my family. But first, let me go and bury my father. This is Jesus' response to them. It's Luke 9.62 if you ever want to look at it yourself. No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. In other words, don't wait. Don't wait. As I was thinking about this and thinking about Palm Sunday and and, and the idea of of welcoming Jesus in, I couldn't couldn't stop thinking about the idea that, that some of us are just kind of playing games with God. Some of us are thinking like, oh, I'll get a chance to do that later. I'll obey later. I'll do what he's asking me to do later. I'll change my life later. I'll order my life after Jesus' teachings later. And here's what I want to ask you. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What could be better than enjoying the fullness of a relationship with the God who made you, the God who knows you, and the God who loved you enough to come down to this earth to, to be a man, to be sinless, to die in our place and for our Sins And then God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, raised Jesus from the dead, sent the Holy Spirit to dwell with us. I don't want to miss out on that. And I hope you don't want to miss out on that either. And so that's what I want to encourage you in this morning, is make today your day to say yes. Whether it's for the first time ever, or whether it's something where you've kind of gotten into a pattern of hiding behind your excuses and hiding behind the, the things that you have going on and you just put off obedience to Jesus. Make this to the day that you acknowledge the King of the universe, the eternal King, and make this the day that you offer your cloak to honor him in your own life. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, we want to thank you. We want to thank you for the life of Jesus. We want to thank you for this particular story. God, thank you for the fact that you, in, in all of your wisdom and, and, and your foreknowledge and all of these things, God, you predicted that this would happen and you made it happen as well. God, thank you that King Jesus came in humbly. He came in peacefully. But we thank you also that you have exalted the name of Jesus above all other names, that at every tongue and every, uh, every, every, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the, to the glory of God the Father. God, we were made for you. We were made to know you. We were made to be with you. And that's what we want. God, I I can speak for myself. That's what I want more than anything else. And so God, forgive me. Forgive me for the times where I say no. Forgive me for the times where I hide behind my excuses. Forgive me for the times when I hide behind my disobedience and I call it fear. When you're inviting me to go and to step out, to be a part of what you're doing not only in my life, not only in the lives of people around me, but also in the entire cosmos, God. In the entire universe, you are looking to set all things right. You are looking to establish your kingdom. And so, Father, we want to make ourselves available to you this morning. 
God, we ask and pray that you would come and you would cut through our excuses, that you would come and, 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 and relieve us of the feeling that we're not good enough or we're not adequate enough or we don't have what it takes because you have sent your Holy Spirit to live in us and to dwell in us. And that's enough. That's everything we need. So Father, come and speak to us. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to be doing your work in this place, in these people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you to go ahead and stand to your feet. We're going to sing this final song, but we have people who are up here and they want to pray with you. And I want to encourage you not to miss the opportunity to have someone pray with you about whatever it is that's going on, whether it's related to this message or if it's something in uh, something that you're facing this week, something that's going on in your relationships, your finances, personal life, whatever it is, I want to encourage you to come and receive prayer as we worship.